discusses storytelling from all angles to help you and us answer the call when the muse screams, tell the damn story. We'll be exploring the challenges of being creative in fiction, illustration, comics, film, and nonfiction. How you doing? It's Chris Ryan, and welcome to Tell the Damn Story, the podcast. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the power of legends during times of war. We're also going to talk about writing appearances, public appearances. And then we're going to take you behind the scenes and discuss how to prepare for being in public as a writer. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk to the legend. How are you, Mr. Alex Simmons? Oh, shucks, fella. Oh, gosh darn you. Hey, I'm fine, Chris. I am fine. Yeah. Thank you. I'm actually rather pumped because, as you yes. said, you know, we're going to be talking about appearances. And I've actually had um, a really great one just a few days ago. And I got another one coming up in just a few days. Mm-hmm. And it's like the beginning of like a six week man on the move kind of tour. That, that I'm looking beautiful. for. That's so, fantastic. Great, yeah. I'm pumped. And after, when, when we talk about that one that you did this last week, uh, that's the last time you can play humble or be shy because I was, I was in the audience and I watched, and we'll talk about that later. But ladies and gentlemen, when I say Alex Simmons is a legend, I got my proof, I think it was Thursday night, absolute proof. Stay tuned. And find out why Alex Simmons can no longer deny his legendary status. All right. Speaking of legends, I wanted to start with a um, an aside. Um, we all know, the whole world knows that Russia invaded Ukraine. And uh, we're not a political show. No, nope. you know, we're a show about writing and stories, and legends, and um, your godson, my son, uh, brought this to my attention, and it was just a perfect thing. This is a way we can contribute to, you know. The conversation? Not, yeah, not you know, not approving and not abiding by what's going on. Um, there's a power to legends. That's why legends and myths exist. Uh, that's why stories exist. They exist to give us some sense that we are not alone. And it was delightful to learn about these two legends um, this week. And that is one, the ghost of Kiev, and two, the Ukraine Reaper. Uh, and now these they were legends, and then they were urban legends, and then there were a ton of people who confirmed, including the former president of the Ukraine. So the ghost of Kiev is a fighter pilot who is going out on his own and shooting down Russian planes. And it depends on the story, how many uh, down planes he has. But they're significant for someone who is acting on his own. And the ghost of Kiev is giving a lot of people who are fearing 24-7 in Kiev. They've given them a lot of hope and something to believe in. And then there's the Ukraine Reaper. Uh, and according to tales there, he has over 20 kills already as a single soldier. And um, there is some uh, precedent for this. Um, let's see. I have that here for you. Um, the White Death 
in World War II. He was a Finnish sniper. He was a farmer, Simo Haya, and he was the world's deadliest sniper after killing a total of 700 enemy soldiers. Um, so here, you know, he uh, he was history that went into legend, that went into myth, and now we see this week two more personalities, two more characters, two more patriots that are slipping into legend already and giving the people of Ukraine hope when hope is in tragically short yeah, supply. So definitely short supply. I, I would also, you know, equate that because again, as you say, we, we're about stories and everything. Um, for folks who might be sitting out there going, okay, you know, wow, you know, Ukraine this and 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 ghost that and what, where they come up with these names. Well, I mean, Tomahawk, um, you know, it was a comic book character that I grew up reading and Tomahawk was supposedly uh, this sort of buckskin hero who fought during the Revolutionary War. He looked like Davy Crockett in a way. And because of the, the popularity of Batman and Robin, they gave Tomahawk a kid sidekick even. But most of his stories were taking place during the American Revolution, and he was that heroic figure in a buckskin costume, as opposed to the mm -hmm. uniforms, that, you know, was able to do these remarkable things to help, you know, fight and win that war. And prior to him was Blackhawk, you know, which was a whole platoon of independent flyers. You know, Blackhawk, the, the Blackhawks in the 1940s were not uh, American soldiers, per se, or, or British soldiers. They were soldiers from different countries, from Holland, from Finland, from uh, China, from uh, Poland, from the United States. Uh, they all came together, formed this, this uh, air, uh, air Force of their own to fight again against the Axis. And, you know, of course, you can also think about terms, uh, the comic book um, titles like Enemy Ace or yeah. Airboy, which again, pi uh, fighter pilots who were again caught up in the war and fighting to try and even out the battle, to try and give people hope, to try and, you know, from a propaganda standpoint or from just an encouragement standpoint, say, we have a shot, we have a chance, someone is fighting for you. And just to, just to add in one more thing, you know, again, we're talking about Blackhawks and we talked about Airboy as independent, you know, characters with their own planes. There's a TV series called Airwolf. And oh, yeah. again, yeah, you know, there again, this is out of the 80s, if I remember correctly. And even then, this is this, this amazing high-tech helicopter that was hidden in a hidden base somewhere out in, I don't know, the desert, Nevada desert or mountains, whatever, and would come up out of its hidden base every now and then to take on whatever criminal activities or terrorist activities they had to deal with and then go back into hiding. So, you know, legends, myths, heroes, uh, we always look up for something to help us through the difficult and dark times. And sometimes it's an, a recognized authority or force or figure. And sometimes it's something that is mythological or at least wrapped in mystery that helps us believe that we can get through this. And so once again, um, here you go. Here we are in another situation where the world has, you know, lost its mind for a moment, and people need, you know, not only real live heroes or real live uh, figures to step forward and offer hope, but we also know that in storytelling, there are fictional characters 
that we can also look to for that moment of inspiration and hope and, and a reflection on, on where society is at that particular time. Yes, I agree. So uh, we both wanted to point it out. We wanted to point out that even today, new legends are being formed. It's, um, we hope it's a source of um, strength for those in U- Ukraine, and we hope that they remain safe. Um, but it also is uh, another way to, to remind us of the power of story. Absolutely. Now, we're going to respectively step to the step, step away from that and talk about, yeah. uh, you know, very often uh, writers are squirreled away in some corner, some dark hovel, you know, writing. And, and, and uh, even Richard Price, I was talking to him one time, the great author, and I was lucky enough to sit next to him at an event. And uh, I was talking to him about really jumping in taking this seriously he says look you have to understand it's a lonely life it's ass and chair most of the time mm-hmm. so we've talked a lot about that but every once in a while you know who let the dogs out who let the authors out right <laughs> and <laughs> and authors get to go out somewhere and uh well right now at the end of covid hopefully the end of covid uh we're still zooming or youtubing and it just so happened that this week, both of your loyal uh, co-hosts were out and about on the uh, on the internets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it would be I just thought it would be again. We're always trying to talk about all aspects of the writing life, so we're going to talk about going out there. Well, yeah, um, there's two things. Two things. Um, if you don't mind me just jumping in there. You know, sometimes it's it's a lonely one shot kind of thing, and sometimes it's a cascade effect. And and I feel like um, right now there's a cascading effect going on because there's two things that happened this past week, one right after the other, just you know maybe with a space of, of a couple of days in between. On Monday, uh, I became aware of an article that came out. It, it was an interview that I had done, but I didn't know it was coming out uh, this soon. Uh, it came out in the Golden Globe Awards online zine, you know, uh, about Blackjack, uh, you know, my character Blackjack, and I had been interviewed about how I created it and the things that I, I had seen since I published it, and Chris and I, and I have worked on some stories together and all this, and this interview came out, and, you know, it's been a really nice reaction to it. I'm very excited by that, and then a few days later, as Chris was leading up to, here I am, um, at this event called ReggieCon. Uh, it's a virtual event. And I'm there, uh, I'm on a panel, or actually I'm the subject of a panel uh, that had read Blackjack, Second Bite of the Cobra, the first graphic novel. And we're there to talk about that and to acknowledge some of the work that I've done. So I'm, like I said, it's, it's like a cascading effect. It's just really kind of interesting to know that you, you put out your work not necessarily knowing what's going to happen or how it's going to be received. And then these things start to happen. Some of these things come back to you. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to sort of share that, you know. Oh, I mean, it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, uh, sometimes it's, 
feast or famine and nothing's happening for a while then a whole bunch of things happen we we got to talk about that with uh one of our author friends till james glenn whose whose feast continues he just sold a few more books god bless him um and your public appearances have been kind of steady like two or three times a year but uh now things are uh heating up and we're, you know, you always hope that something happens with that. But if if does, then well, that's going to be another episode. Right now, <laughs> yes. we're going to talk about, you know, what happened when they let us out in public, and then oh. we're going to talk to writers who, you know, aspire to to that level, and we'll talk to them about what we did to get it going. Yours are uh, are more legendary. So I'm going to go first because we'll keep it short and sweet. But um, there is on YouTube a uh, a show that comes uh, from some of the members of, it uh, comes out of uh, Horror Writers Association New York. It's called Galactic Terrors. And what it is, is a reading series. Um, they have two co-hosts and then three readers every month. And if you go to YouTube and you search Galactic Terrors, you'll find all the previous uh, episodes. And uh, much to my surprise, I was asked to read. Um, I don't have a ton of horror uh, clips or or uh, published uh, stories just yet. Uh, But I did have an interesting uh, twist to it. So they asked me, and of course, you'll you know always say yes. And, and if, if you're asked to read in public, say yes. Yeah, yeah. Can can you ride a horse? Yes, I can. Yeah. And then figure out how to ride a horse. Right. Um, so I looked at the stuff that I had published, and um, I have a character we've mentioned here before, Penelope, and she would arguably fall into a crime category, but I write her as horror. You know, in the way that Batman would seem uh, like a horror story to the criminals of Gotham, right? Uh, Penelope is a night a nightmare for the people that she comes after, and um, so and I have a, a series of stories that are about seven hundred words each, really short pieces. Uh, that's part of what I'm the experiment I'm doing with Penelope. And I had one that was uh, published in Shotgun Honey, uh, Shotgun Honey, which is a, um, I mean, it's a uh, crime publication, a crime website. Um, but I wrote her Sara, and it was a pretty horrifying 700 words. So that was the first part. But in um, in July of last summer, I was watching Galactic Terror, and. Um, this poet was reading and her name is Sarah Tantlinger, Tantlinger, um, or Tantlinger. Um, and while she was writing, reading, well, I'm sorry. You'll see why I made the mistake in a second. While yeah. she was reading, I just I grabbed a pen and just writing exploded out of me. And it was poetry. I hadn't written poetry in a while, but these were 
I think I did 12 poems while she was reading. Just really quick, you know, no one else in the world could read that handwriting. Um, and they were all from one point of view. Um, guy who calls himself, calls himself the gentleman. And um, I just thought that it made a lot of sense since this show inspired that. And it's, it's ultimately going to be a crime tale told in verse by this horror show of a character. And um, the, con the, the way the content will work is the way you might put a dedication. It's a note to Mallory and Gunner, two detectives you might have heard about from another cop who says, once the CSI guys were finished lifting prints off this, we figured you two would be able to make more sense of this than anyone else. You owe us a couple of beers. So then the rest of it is the contents of what they said, which this compulsory aspect of this character, one, one way he expressed it was through poetry. So I read three poems besides the short Penelope story. So they got a feel for it. And um, I haven't done as much acting as the legendary Alex Simmons. But, you know, I haven't done as much of anything as the legendary Alex Simmons. So, but I have done some sketch uh, comedy work and some independent film work and uh, written and directed and all that baloney. Um, so there is some acting and studied some acting. So I tended to give characters voices. Uh, Penelope got a character voice. And then the gentleman, whenever I read those poems, this, this voice comes out. So that's what I did. And when you're doing this stuff, we'll talk about the how-to later on. But you're just, your focus is when you're, performing your writing or giving a rating your focus is to do it the very best way you can so you're focusing on delivery not impact and hoping the best for the best with the impact right but if you think too much about how they how they reacting how they reacting it, it gets in the way of the reading you're so, outside um, listening to yourself and that's not the point right so, Will, I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about that in a minute. But uh, one of the co-hosts and MTL, James Glenn, was in there as well, said, uh, you scared us. He <laughs> <laughs> said, you're such a mild-mannered guy, which I also found funny. And he said, you scared us, which I will take as, uh, you know, a good start. Um, so that's what that was. You were kind enough to attend this thing. Uh, you can take me down a peg or two or, or agree or just well, laugh no, no, and no, say no, you no, should no. learn how to move furniture. I'm you not, know. Actually, don't give up your day job, right? No, yeah. I did. Oh, oh I you did. already did. <laughs> too bad. Too late. Too late. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I was I was in the virtual audience here watching my friend, uh, you know, get up there on, on the virtual stage and and uh lead into 
his piece and then he's reading. And I will say that though I was not frightened by the material, there is absolutely two personalities that came out that, that evening. When he read Penelope, it was more of, you know, we're sitting in, maybe we're at a Barnes and Noble, there's a podium in front and there's this wonderful reading uh, by this, this author of this really intriguing character. And, oh, this is happening and that's happening. And you get a little bit lost into the story and that's great. When he was doing the poetry piece, there was a personality shift and it was another person, another character on that stage. Again, we're talking virtual. So he was sitting in his living room or wherever the heck he was when you did this, Chris. But there was another persona. Right where I am now. (laughs) There was another persona speaking at that time. The, The timbre of the voice changed, the meter of the voice changed, the intention or subtext of the words being delivered changed. And that was because he was getting into the character that was speaking these words as opposed to Chris reading his words. And so what I would I would say, and this is this is an acting exercise and lesson, as well as a writer reading his or her material uh, to the public, is you do not want to be outside your head watching you read. You do right. not want to be monitoring, oh, I hope I said that word right. And gee, I wonder what the people in the front row are doing because they're fidgeting. You can't be there doing that. You need to be in the material. You need to trust the story and the work you put in to that story and take that path and be in there sharing that with the audience. And you can think all you want about how they dealt with it, received it, loved it or hated it after you finish. But prior to and during, no, it is, as Chris is often saying in our now 221st episode, serve the story. Yeah, this is a different version of that. You serve it as the presenter. You serve it as the reader. You serve it as the actor. You always serve the story. And so that's what you did with those two presentations. And we'll discuss later how I got there. Yes. It okay. Wasn't the train? Wasn't no. Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but that was my my little moment. So let's switch let's switch tracks for a minute. So how does Alex Simmons, the legend, prepare for his appearance? Well, first thing he does is he gets an opening act. You know, a couple of days before his appearance. Here's this guy exploding around the internet from the goldenglobes.com. That's right, the awards Golden Globes doing a glowing interview with his Simmonsness over here, right? So that's the opening act. I'm like, wow, that's pretty, he's having a pretty good week. And then I sign on to see uh, this panel. I, I'm, you know what? Sometimes the human brain cannot conceive of the greatness before it. 
So there I was just thinking, wow, Alex is on a panel. I'm an Alex guy. I will support my dude by attending this, right? That was nice. So we go, and the thing is called Regicon. And I don't know what Regicon is, but it doesn't make a difference to me because I'm going to be there for Alex. So then I research how to do it, and I run into <clears throat> the University of Illinois. Yep. Uh, oh. So it's not a pad- podcast like Tell a Damn Story. This has an entire campus behind it. What the hell? <laughs> And then we sign on. If I remember correctly, there were six people on the panel besides Alex. Here's the twist, ladies and gentlemen. Four of those people held doctorates. They were doctors. Doctors of psych, doctors of social work, doctors of literature. Uh, But all six of them were there not to discuss with Alex, but to talk about Alex Simmons, the legendary storyteller, tell uh, uh, weaver, and specifically only one of his tales, Blackjack, second bite of the cobra. (laughs) And yeah, it was an academic panel to discuss the collegiate and academic um, uh, positives and uh, uh, benefits of having known Alex Simmons and his blackjack second bite of the cobra. Yes, that's what happens when you're a legend. Okay. (laughs) Each and every one of these people singing his praises, ladies and gentlemen, and then trying to take deep dives, not on the entire multi-issue story, but they were throwing up single pages and talking about the details and the subtlety and the levels of a single sequence. And they each had one. That is how much they were studying. Okay, so when my man over here gets called legend on Tell the Damn Stories and tries to poo-poo it, you and I know the truth. Oh, boy. Wow. Alex Simmons, talk to us about Regicon. 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 Oh, By God. the way, it's a pretty cool. That's a pretty cool thing they have. People should go and uh, search well, it out. It's it going to be available, and it was recorded. It was streamed for the campus that night, and for people who type who um, uh, came into the Zoom, you know, took the Zoom Zoom link and were there live to watch. But it was recorded, and it will be up on the Regicon website in about a week or two as i understand it because they have to edit and stuff like that because they do a lot more editing than we do <laughs> yeah they sure do. They sure do. um i i have to say that you know again since we're we're here to talk about what it's like to prepare to be you know to do appearances well we'll, and- we'll talk about preparation for a minute we're going to bask in the the, the glowing sun that is Alex Simmons let, for let a just, moment. Let me just say, let me Alex just say, Simmons as at Regicon. Yeah, yeah. So, so the 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 thing of it is, is again, it's an it's an awkward for me for me 
it's an awkward feeling that I, I absolutely, believe me, I, I adore the fact that people like my work or love my work or get something from my work. I definitely don't want the opposite. I definitely am, am working hard to get that. But it's, it's, it feels, you know, weird. It feels a little funny or embarrassing or whatever you want to call it. When there's a panel of people that you respect and, and predominantly you, doctors. I do a number of them. Yeah, doctorates, all of them. <laughs> you know? Yes. And they are, they're talking about my work. And that's one level. There's the expertise that they bring to their viewpoint. That's a second yeah. level. And then there's their personal reaction to the work. So it's not just a clinical analysis. But it was also like like one of the one of the gentlemen one of the gentlemen in the group, um, uh, Dr. Stanford Carpenter, talked about a scene in the book where the lead character Aaron Day, as an adult, is sitting in, in a darkened room, remembering years before when he was a child, and in that same room with his mother and father, and remembering the conversation that his parents had at that time. And just to give folks who are listening a little bit of a background. Uh, Blackjack or Aaron Day's father was a mercenary in the early 1900s and Blackjack has become a soldier of fortune in the 30s sort of following to some degree in his father's footsteps although it's trying to figure out where you know his father ends and he begins but the bottom line is his father was very much a mercenary you pay me I do whatever I got to do and so he's there at that time in the early 1900s because he's part of a of, a, of an army of mercenaries who are battling the very people who live in that region in the, in the Middle East. And the wife is saying, you know, it's, it's kind of odd that, you know, you're here as a black man doing this work, fighting these people who are only trying to protect their own country. And the father comments on what that's like for him. And what Dr. Carpenter, you know, after he spoke about that, Dr. Carpenter said that the other thing that got to him on a personal level was that it was about family. It was that this man who was in, in, a, in, in, a, in effect, in a military position, was traveling with his family to the various places he had to go. And that he, Dr. Carpenter, as a child, had a father who was in the military and had traveled around and had some of the same similar uh, moments in his life where they're in a hotel waiting for the next apartment they're moving into to be ready. And it was just... It was so fascinating to think about what I had done to make that scene authentic for me when I was writing it. And then to hear years later how it reached, touched, affected other people and how they could connect or relate to it. It's, it's a remarkable thing, which is another reason why I say um, whether you're reading the material or you're writing the material and it's going to be presented or analyzed later. You have to serve the story. You have to write the best story you possibly can and try and be as true to the characters as you possibly can. Because once it's out there, it's on its own. Mm -hmm. And you don't know who's going to see it or receive it. You don't know what effects it's going to have. But you want to be able to sort of, you know, either sit and blush or stand tall next to your material right. when that day finally yeah. comes that people are talking about it. Now, now you know I was uh, teasing you out of love. I do want to talk about that. I pay him to say that. Um, I wanted to talk about a, a, a 
really teachable moment for writers that happened during your session. If I remember correctly, her name was Dr. Rojas. Yes, yes. And she talked about a particular... I'm sorry? I believe her is is Teresa Rojas. Dr. Teresa Rojas. Rojas. And um, she's wonderful. She, She spoke about a particular page, and they would throw the page up on the screen so everyone could, you know, take a good look at it. And... I had a couple of different emotional reactions to where she was going as she was going there, right? And you didn't. And that's the teachable moment. Now, if I can explain, um, this was a, a point in the story, the second bite of the cobra, where um, Black Jack Aaron Day is wounded and has his shirt off, but he's got bandages, slightly bloody bandages all over his chest from where he had gotten sewn up or whatever. And um, Miriam, who who, uh, is another great warrior, and she always dresses for the war, not for a surprise date during the war. (laughs) But in this sequence, Dr. Rojas pointed out that suddenly... She doesn't really have her shirt on anymore. She just has like, I guess you would equate it to like a bodysuit or something that a dancer might wear, um, right? if I remember correctly. And you said nothing. Um, a lot of people would have got instantly defensive. You said nothing. Secondly, a lot of people who did graphic novels would immediately throw the artist under the bus. You did not. Ultimately, whatever went in there was going to be your say-so because it was your project. But you heard her out, which was fantastic. Um, You know, it's very sensitive time on so many topics. And this could have gone really wrong. And then she said, and if you look in about three quarters of the way through this sequence. She points to the panel. She says, and then Blackjack says, I couldn't help wondering, where is her shirt? And it was, she loved it so much. But what she was saying was that you took a trope, you know, a hero and the girl falls for the hero and off come the clothes, whatever, and turned it on its head. While everything else was going on, it was just a little twist of the trope. And that was really where I believed she was going or where that's what I got out of it, um, that she was so delighted that you didn't go there and you kind of turned it on its head, (coughs) which I applauded her point. But at the same time, I was like, there's a lot of ways you could have stepped on the landmine and... (laughs) ruin that moment for yourself and you didn't so i'd like to talk to you um, or i'd like you to talk about having the wherewithal to shut up and just listen (laughs) to people talking about your work because it's really an important skill to develop (laughs) you know um there's a there's a, a philosophy that says uh once you put yourself out on a stage you've opened yourself up for a barrage of applause or tomatoes. 
uh, because you, know, you put yourself into the public eye, you put yeah. your material into the public space. And, and that means whatever is gonna come is gonna come. And it may not always be wonderful. I think it's, it starts in school, if you're lucky, you learn to hear constructive criticism. I'm not talking about badgering or any of that kind of nonsense, but you try and listen and learn from, oh, I could have done this better here, or if I did such a, so to some degree, I picked up some of that in high school, not in middle school, that was not as much fun. But in high school, I had, I was lucky enough to have a couple of teachers, uh, different teachers who were not about beating information into our heads and having us memorize stuff, but was about actually trying to teach us how to learn. And yeah. part of it was respectfully critiquing our work and helping us understand the difference between destructive and constructive criticism. So it started there. But over the years of being a professional writer and a professional performer, you, you learn as an actor, you got to listen to the director. You may not agree with him or her all the time, uh, or you may want to debate a point or something, but you've got to be able to hear what a person is saying first right. in order to then know what it is you're going to respond to. Right. If you're making noise while they're trying to explain their point, then there's no point in you even being there. You know, right. so, I, I would, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so to me that evening uh, and, and Dr. Rojas, who I've seen uh, speak in other situations and I have, I have tremendous respect for her on so many levels, but it was funny because I had no idea where she was going and I thought this could go horribly wrong here, but you know what? <laughs> here it is, here it is, let it come. And, but but and, when that Reggie... A con uh, episode comes out. I would I would urge uh, people who tell, uh, watch Tell the Damn Story to um, check it out. Pay a particular attention. Well, it's worth seeing anyway. But pay a t particular attention to that segment um, because it is really where our second podcast was born. First podcast, tell the damn story. Second podcast, shut the hell up when someone else is talking about your story. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there's no, there's, there's, you never win arguing about your story. You come off as defensive and you come off as disrespectful to the audience or to the reader or to the expert, which she was all, all three at that moment. Um, Yes, and rather than yes, but might be better, you know, but for you the you know, having the discipline, this is the teachable moment for those who are trying to learn, um, you know, how to be just a little bit like the legend. Um, it's a good discipline to learn to watch you take in, you know, and you have a very pleasant poker face. While I'm on the other side of the screen going, oh, shit, I even text, oh, excuse me, I even text Tina, I was like, this could go wrong. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's worth seeing. It was really interesting to see that happen. Um, and I would like you to talk about one other aspect, and then we'll go backstage and say, how do you prepare for these things? Um as far as I could tell, no one had given you a list of these are the things we're going to talk about. And they went all over the place, which was beautiful and enriched the discussion. How do you, I mean, you, you published 
second bite of the cobra 20 years ago 1996 so 25 years ago and they're talking about, they went into some nuanced um, uh, discussion. How do you uh, prepare, uh, how do you roll with getting, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm trying to figure out how to best say this without going to the how-to part. Okay. Um, live, when you're live, um, how do you deal with a question or a nuance in your story you're not prepared for? Wow. Um, I, I think, wow. The only way I can answer that is to say that I think it depends on the question because um, during that, that session, like you said, I, no, I had no idea what pages they had chosen. Right. I, I wasn't, I knew they were going to talk about the book, but I didn't know really what methodology they were going to use. And so it was interesting for me, and you know, as, as the person who wrote the stuff, it was interesting to me to see what scenes each person chose and right. to hear what their reactions were. So that was fascinating to me. When a question comes up or came up a couple of times, you know, it was it was diff it was it was like, okay, I would take a beat pause and and try to hear the question fully in my head. And not plan what I was going to say, but tap into the information I needed to refer to so that I could answer honestly. Right. And I think that's all I ever do is try to focus on being authentic with my answers. But, but uh, great, great rules of great rules of thumb. Take a, first, listen thoroughly to the question. Mm -hmm. Second, take a beat, gather your thoughts mm -hmm. and then answer. That's yeah. fantastic. I'd like to go to take, we'll take everyone backstage, take behind the scenes. Okay. And I'd like to work backwards from, from you. And then we'll go to the more rookie at this, me, right? I mean, I have a couple of years experience. Yeah, yeah, really. Have, Come on, let's, let's, let's not put you, make you a puppy now here. Yeah. Come on, let's, let, let's, let's just talk about, you know, I am an emerging writer. You are a legend, so let's not, yeah, you know. Okay, okay. okay. So, how does you know while you're going through the daily grind of being a legend? Um, how do you <laughs> how do you prepare? You, you, Reggie Khan gets in touch with you, right? Um, or, or let's go now. I let's go to the Global Go Golden Globes for a minute. Um, I assume they called you up, asked for an interview, and called you up. I was I was told through um, uh, a producer that I know that there was an interest. All right, and then you say sure, and yep. they're going to call you now. You don't get a list of questions in it. Nope. I actually okay. prefer that they not do that. Okay, so let's talk about people who are, are you know this is one of their goals, right? Okay, how do you prepare and what advice would you give to aspiring writers how to prepare to be interviewed about your character you're writing how do, uh, how do you I'm be gonna, a i'm gonna say i'm gonna say <laughs> that i i sort of adhere to something that um not to exactly to the same thing but to something that arnold schwarzenegger uh used to do a lot when he was promoting his films 
and, and projects. So he had talking points. Yes. You know, very specific talking points. And he could be interviewed 19 different times over a period of three weeks. And the length of the, of the interview might determine how many of the talking points he got through. But he knew which points he had to make sure were said at every interview. And so, you know, ultimately, I try to make sure that I can quickly sum up what Blackjack is about, which is the story of an African-American soldier of fortune in the 1930s. Uh, I have a couple of other quick soundbite explanations of other details of the series. And then after that, you know, you sort of prep yourself for what are the average questions? There's usually a certain question, like, when did you first come up with it? You know, how did you come up with the idea? Um, why a black character in the past? Why not present day? So these are like these three questions I'm almost always asked almost every single time. So you have, uh, you know, maybe not a, a rehearsed answer, although for some people, maybe that would be more useful to you to rehearse your answers. For Arnold, it was always no matter what I ask you, you have three things to say. Right. How exactly. great the script is, how wonderful the how special effects are going to be, and how it's going to be such a big success. Yes. That's, an, that's a really bad paraphrase of an interview I heard him say about that. He always but he does, but he does, he does cover those points. And, and, yeah. and yep. one of the big points is, the last one is the big success, because he's basically saying to people, dip into your pocket, come see it. Yeah, you're, you're gonna miss it. Dollars on yeah, it. he's he's appealing to the mofo, you know, uh, the FOMO, fear yeah. of missing out. Yeah, oh, right. you're gonna, it's going to be so great, right? So ultimately, <laughs> but, for me, it's always about you know, uh, tell what this the concept is about, and then be prepared to tell how I came up with it, why I came up with it, and and what purpose I think it serves. Uh, and then after that, it it gets into the the depends on the the interviewer. And they're what angle they're looking for as to what questions come up. Right. Now, um, I will take one little. Uh, I'll break my arm a little bit, pat myself on the back a little bit. Yeah, um, about time. During during the interview, your interview at Regicon, where they only interview legends. Um, they, <laughs> I noticed that um, there is an opportunity for you to promote some of your other stuff. So I sent it a, a, a question. Uh, uh, is there any uh, uh, pros blackjack adventures uh, yeah. uh, that we can I look for? <laughs> so so uh, what was funny was um, they read that. I don't think they mentioned my name. Is there, uh, someone wrote in a question and they said that. Now it, it's on the comments, right? It's on the thread under Chris Ryan, right? And you say, oh, yeah, I wrote some of my, well, my friend, Chris Ryan. I'm like, oh, I wonder if the Regicon people are going to be pissed at me. <laughs> you know, see, that's that's another thing, too. That's a talking point there is is try not to BS people <clears throat> because right. you get a rep for that. Um, you know, I could have said, you know, I wrote this. I wrote that. I did this. I did that. Uh, but that's that's not the truth. You know, it, there's. I did come up with the character. I have done a ton of work involving the series and the concept and all that. But there have been some great people, present company included, who have been a part of the team and who have, you know, added their point of view, their talents and so forth to it. So, you know, I think being transparent about that sort of right. thing 
Yeah, there might be that moment. Well, that's funny. Chris Ryan's the one who asked this question. And I would have absolutely <laughs> said, yeah, and that's that's called going for a plug. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just, you just well, I, you know, as long as you don't overdo it, I yeah. think you can do, you can get away with like one plug and interview. Exactly. That's, that's and, my and, but again, also be honest about it. You know, don't, right. don't, don't half step, don't BS about it. Be honest about it, you know, because... Right. That's that's part of what you're doing. You're establishing your reputation. Right. And and that's the only as my grandfather once taught me, that's the only thing that we can really own. Yeah, people can mess with it. Right. But your reputation, that's that's the thing you own. That's the thing you got to take care of. And when you screw up, which I have done, you got to take that responsibility too. Sure. All right, so let's switch to Regicon. You get invited. Uh, you have the idea. Wow, it's uh, University of Illinois, and there's going to be some. Here's the panel. Oh my God, look at these guys, uh, girls, guys. Assume they. Um, all right, how do you prepare for something like that? Because that was a that was one of the deeper things. You know, you've been on a ton of panels, but that's usually talking about uh, a genre or talking about you know, uh, representing uh, African-American characters or making sure they're in comics or something like that. This is, you know, six people, four of them, I, maybe they all had doctors, I forget, um, talking about your work. How do you prepare for that? I have no idea. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, um, I, I, I can only say I knew that this was going to be a part of the, the the process, which was that they were going to be discussing my work, but I did not know to what extent. Um, I found it, you know, again, wonderful. And, and I got a little embarrassed because I do when they were introducing me and they kept mm -hmm. sort of rolling off the credits. You, know, it was, like, you think I make a, you think I blow a lot of smoke when I introduce Alex Simmons. Oh boy. These guys had their research done. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, and it was like when I, it, to toot my own horn for a second, it was like when I was getting the, the, the ink pot award and I'm mm -hmm. standing on a stage and, and the, the young person standing off to the right is reading this list of things that I did. And I'm going, okay, you know, uh, you can you can stop now. And I start cracking jokes to interrupt because I'm getting I'm getting embarrassed. Yeah, and, and it's 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 a lesson to learn to not step on the credentials that you've earned. Right. Right. But if you're going to do it, poke fun at yourself. Yeah. You know, because I, you know, and I admit, I admit to people, I say, you know, it's hard for me to listen to, to that, you know, and, and trust me, I, I love it. You know, I definitely love it. It's just hard for me to listen to it. So now I go, so this is what, you know, this is what happens is understand that you're going to be acknowledged. Accept that. In the case of people talking about your work, if there are, if they are critiquing your work, if there are going to be some constructive criticisms and things like that, Try and listen, try and hear uh -huh. what they're saying and try and see if you can learn from those things. Don't feel like you, you know. got to go into automatic combat mode. Yeah. Uh, and, and secondly, if they're honoring you and you're embarrassed, deal with it. <laughs> because you Be knew gracious. the job was dangerous when you took it, Fred. You That's know? right. So and, I just, yeah, I just yeah. try and prepare for 
you know, what I want to say, remember to, to be thankful. Absolutely. To thank the people, like I said, you know, you, Chris and, and, and Tim Fielder and some of the other people, Joe Bennett, these are other, these are people who, who brought their A game to the project. And that's why the project came out as well as it did. Yeah. So cool. And then of course, a good rule of thumb for all of us who are not Alex Simmons is uh, uh, tell a damn story first to tell a damn, tell about a hundred million damn stories. And then maybe you have to deal with this problem. But for uh, mere mortals like myself, um, when you're asked to do one of these things, you want to make sure you do it right. So uh, it's whatever the best of your abilities are. And I don't know if I did it exactly right or not, but I really did my best effort. And here are some of the things that I did to pre prepare. First thing I did was I went over the pieces each one 20 or 30 times, um, changing a little word, editing, making sure it was as smooth as possible. And then I would do one of the things that we have uh, said on the show countless times. I think the best way to proofread and the best way to prepare for a public reading is to read it out loud like you are getting paid a ton of money to read it out loud, you know, so then you're working on inflection and you're working on pace, pacing and you're working on making it a moment that people can, you know, get lost in or step into. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept printing it out at like 14 or 16 point rather than 12. So it's easier to read. Um and then uh, I realized that if I was going from page to page, they would hear the crinkle, you know? So then I put it onto the iPad and I practiced reading it with the iPad. And then I found that I could hold my phone like this and just thumb through it like that easier. So, uh, and then I could even hold it up Oops, that's right in front of the light. But I could hold it up and no one would know it was right under the camera. So it was another way I could read smoothly without looking, you know, like yeah. you had a neck, neck problem. Um, and there are a couple of things uh, way back, way, 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 way back. I uh, attended the Southampton Writers Conference. And um, Billy Collins, the poet, was there and uh, a ton of other writers. Um, uh, but my point here is that there was a, a practice. All the students were going to give a reading, right? And there was a practice the night before. And I watched them. And then I went up to Billy Collins the next day and I said, I don't, um, this is speaking out of turn, but would you consider doing a little mini lesson for people at the last minute? It's like, why? Well, what are you talking about? Is it how to read in public? It's like, why would you say that? It's because like, I was at the, the rehearsal last night. He says, okay. He says, <laughs> he says you do the file, a file and distribute the file. And he's got him and, um, Oh, uh, 
I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to forget names, but the guy who did Ange- Angela's ass, Ashes and um, I was a third reader as well who agreed to do it. So we got the flyer again. I handed it out to students. And one of the things, the simple thing, he was like, uh, Billy Collins got up there. He says, all right, uh, best way to begin is to announce the name of the piece. It was Blackjack, second bite of the Cobra. Then take a beat and then begin. Because there were a lot of preambles going on and a lot of, uh, <clears throat> you know, this is not the time to say I'm a nervous. This is not the time to say, um, uh, just go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. They're already there to listen. They're not there. No one has a buzzer. No one has a big gong. You know, you have an audience that wants to enjoy it. That's all. So that's an easier thing to keep in your mind than, oh, my God, you know, they're going to take me to the um, stockade, you know, the, the, the gallows or something. Right. So so I would I would suggest that as well. When you're practicing out loud, uh, do it a few times and then do one take where you read it all out loud like you're being paid a lot of money for it and listen maybe even record yourself to hear what you might be slurring, what you, where your pacing might be going fast and slow. I tell you, I probably read the entire thing from beginning to end out loud 35 to 40 times for a reading that was less than 10 minutes long. And, you know, you don't have to, you have to think about what you want out of it. I wanted to be good. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, they had never heard me or my horror writing. So, and I don't write gore. There might be gore adjacent, you know, but my stuff is more grounded. Um so it had to be, you know, I, I felt like this was an opportunity. I had nothing to prove to anybody because they're a very nice bunch. But it was an opportunity to say, this is, in part, this is who I am. You know, so those are my, yep, those are my suggestions for how to. Absolutely. Any uh, additional uh, no, uh, techniques no, just, from I, the wizard? I think, <laughs> Mr. Wizard here, yeah. No, I think that, you know, again, prep, prepare, prepare, prepare is is really what it's about. And, you know, maybe what we'll do, uh, Chris, is put together a little um, one sheet with uh, some bullet points of things that people can do with each and make it available as a, a, a download. So, you know, that's, that's um, an idea. That's an idea. Yeah, I think we'll do that. Um, anyway, we do have to bring it to a close. So I'm just going to say, A, you know, Chris, thank you for being there yet again. Chris has been there a lot. We've, we've rode the range together many times, you know, um, and I'm glad you were there for this one. And I was glad I was there for yours. And what have you got? You got anything coming up, you know, just as we're closing, anything coming up soon? No other public appearances right now. Uh, it, I'm very much in writer's mode. The, the response to the poems were that, 
there was a good couple of people who thought they were it was very marketable. So I had some more writing to do on that. Um, there are a lot of markets that are opening that I have material for. So it's all about that end push. of the asp- uh, that job for me right now. The big push. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I have um, I can I can actually report that I think I told you um, a couple of episodes ago that one of my promises for this year was that I was going to write a short story or flash fiction one a month. Uh, yes. I am now two for two. Uh, so that's that's good. So my flash fiction for this month is done. Excellent. Uh, I am speaking at the National Artists, I'm sorry, the National Arts and Education Association Conference on March 4th uh, to uh, supposedly a a huge gathering of teachers and things about the power of the creative arts and comics and imagination in education. So um, I'm nervous about that. I've prepared for it. I've I've talked about it for years, but still I'm going to do just like you've been saying, prep, 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 prep. I already sent in my PowerPoint presentation, so that's already there for them to hook up into their AV system, and I'll let you know how that goes, and I've got some other projects that I'm working on, but we'll talk about that next time. Excellent. Yes. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, get out there, continue to tell your damn story, practice your damn story, publicly read your damn story, and then eventually one day, they'll say, ladies and gentlemen, here's someone very much like like the legendary Alex Simmons. <laughs> hurt this man. You know, folks, have a great, 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 great weekend. What's left of it. Uh, have a great week, which is coming. And we'll see you again real soon. Chris, as always, a pleasure. Always a pleasure, sir. Peace. And I do mean peace. Uh, yeah, for real. Take care, everybody. <laughs>